Excited to be here. I am a uh, solo father this morning, uh, and it has been a trying morning. I've literally needed healing uh, for my three-year-old, uh, and this was not a part of the sermon plan, but I woke up, uh, you know, early to sit down and continue to uh, finish preparing and, you know, make sure that, you know, my shirt was ironed. I did not iron my shirt. Uh, Fred's probably like, that shirt is not straight. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sitting here at, on the couch at six o'clock, you know, and I've got my spark, like I like made it the night before. Um, and so I've got it there and I pick it off off my nightstand, go in the kitchen, uh, the, the, it's called a living room, go in the living room. I sit down, open my Bible, and begin to just read and process and study and pray. And then there it is. 6.45, Colton, crying. Oh, but it's okay, he's asleep, he's just crying, okay? And then uh, that did not stop until 8.45. So, <laughs> it's been one of those mornings, and praise be to God for uh, my co-labor, my wife, um, who... Uh, Went to Louisville today. No, uh, she was home helping me with corralling our three-year-old. And, and by the time that we were uh, going out of the house, um, he had finally, his spirit had been soothed. Um, I don't believe by the gospel. Um, I think it was, I think it was the oatmeal. Um, so, well, in Matthew 8, 1 through 17, uh, I first want to uh, confess I'm not a man who likes to preach this much text at one time, but when your pastors say this is what you do, then you say, okay, that's what I will do. Um, but Jesus begins to show his authority very practically through, the, through three healings that we will look at today. Uh, though, these three healings, uh, the, though these three healings, we are going to see a glimpse of the kingdom. Uh, the things that are to come, uh, the things that you and I are longing for. Jesus has just finished teaching his last point, uh, if there were points in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, to the greatest sermon ever preached. And following the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he writes, uh, Matthew writes, he says, and he was teaching them as one um, who had authority and not as their scribes. Sometime, we don't know when, sometime after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, is walking with his disciples. We read about three encounters he had with a leper, with a centurion, and with uh, a mother-in-law uh, and some demons. So talk about a scenario. It sounds like the start of a bad joke. So there was a leper, a centurion, and a mother-in-law, and they're all in a plane together. Uh, you get the picture. This is a really just unbelievably weird story, but we will see contextually today that uh, there was clear reasons why Jesus went to these specific individuals and responded to their cries. Um, but this it would not be you and I's normal day. Uh, now, this did not all happen in one day, but I would say this is probably not some of our normal years, right? I don't know if Todd Crosby's healed a leopard lately, um, and I don't know if, um, I don't know what kind of relation, do you have a good relationship with your mother-in-law, Eric Baker? Good, that's a good thing. They're not here, so I wouldn't have probably said that if they were. If any of you said you've had a day like this, I'd say uh, to uh, the language in my world at Hope House, you be straight tripping, Right? Okay, so as Jesus begins to walk, he immediately begins to not just teach about his authority, but he begins to show it. Uh, he begins to practically show his authority. He, he didn't do it with a glowing E.T. finger, which would be awesome. Uh, he didn't do it with Tinkerbell fairy dust, which I'm pretty sure every little girl in here think that would be amazing. 
Uh, he didn't do it with a Harry Potter wand. I will confess, I've never seen one of those movies, but I'm pretty sure there's a wand involved. Um, and he didn't do it with uh, a golden ring with some creepy little guy following around who would call it the process all the time, right? So we, we see that he used something much farther, uh, much more greater than something like we see in movies. And it's not very... Um, it's not very elaborate it, it, in a sense of he's not casting spells, he's not saying something just right, but he uses something more powerful than anything that you and I could obtain on our own. He uses his words. He uses his words. His word is bearing the power of his Father, the very body of God in flesh. His wonderful, life-giving, sword-cutting words. So as we are using our words to cut people down in life and to not build one another up, Jesus is healing the sick. He is making the blind see. He is making the lame walk and raising the dead with his words. So before we read our text today, I want to read Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. It says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Verse 20, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let us stand. In honor of God's word, we're going to read Matthew 8, 1 through 17. So get them loose. It's going to take a minute, all right? Thankfully, there's no big hard names to pronounce, so we should be able to get through this really easy. As if Jesus was standing in front of us today and speaking these words, we will read them as they are written in the Word of God. Matthew 8, 1 through 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Verse 5, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, 
I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have, been, as you have believed. And, these, and, this, and the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a, with a word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, be with us today as we go through your word and we, we process who you are to the full fulfillment of you completing all of the prophecies, all the things that have been told before you coming to walk on this earth, to make all things new. I thank you, Lord, that though we do not see these types of things happen miraculously around us every day, as those that were following you saw, Lord, we know that you are going to bring all things to full completion, to the where there is no more cancer, there is no more disease, there is no more miscarriages, there is no, no, there is no more deformity, there is just beauty of your creation, made all things new, made back into the likeness of your, of your heavenly Father to the way that gives him all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. And for your namesake, through you, we come to you this morning. Amen. Or you may be seated. So I really don't know how well to do this. Like I said, I'm not a man who likes to preach through a lot of stuff at one time, uh, but I'm going to try. Okay, so we're going to start in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, okay? Um, but Jesus is healing this leper. Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. Today, you're going to see five, I think, clear themes in our text today. And I hope we can identify them as we study together. The first is this. Jesus has come for the oppressed, the unwanted, the isolated, the marginalized, the outcast, and the ethnically different. Number two, Jesus has come to heal the sick and hopeless. Number three, we are all desperately wanting a rescue. Number four, we are called to go to the sick, the oppressed, the unwanted, the isolated, the marginalized, the outcast, and the ethnically different. And number five, we are called to take people to Jesus. So how do we see Jesus begin to do this and restore order? He's walking out of the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know what the timeline is from that to this first healing with the leper, but we see Jesus is preaching a message to restore and fulfill the law. But listen, but for the law to be restored... And fulfilled, Jesus used public acts like this to show the full deity and authority of Jesus to the followers and rulers. But this would ultimately, get this, lead to his death. He would not be celebrated. He would be accursed. He would be ostracized. He would be put on display in the end to be mocked. 
In the first healing, we see the leper. Jesus went to the unwanted, the outcast, the oppressed, and the poor. These lepers were those that were ceremonially unclean. Point two, in the sense that he goes to this second healing, the centurion, he was a Gentile. He went to the nations, to those that did not believe in him. And these Gentiles had no religious status. And then this third healing, he went to the mother-in-law of Peter, a demon, and then these demon-possessed individuals that were brought to him, and Jesus went to the marginalized. He went to those that the rulers and the teachers would say have no earthly value against those that were greater than them. So each person in need recognized something Jesus could offer to them. But let's take some time to look at each story and pull some clear application from the text. So when he's going to the leper, he went to the unwanted, the outcast, the oppressed, and the poor, the physically unclean. We know that as a leper, it was someone who had very little value. The teachers would say that a leper was one who was not a full Israelite. One who could not enter into the city. He was so unclean and, and culturally um, uh, disgusting, a priest or, or any faithful Jew could not touch an unclean man. In Leviticus 5.3, it says, if you come upon one, you're supposed to announce, unclean, unclean, stay away. A leprous person was seen not as a full Israelite, but they put them outside of the city in leprosy camps. And they removed them from their families. There was strict law that had to be followed if one was to be made clean. Clear sacrifices that had to be made. And if a leper came close to you, you literally ran the other way. But what is leprosy? So it's a disease by, uh, that is uh, infection of the skin and nerves. It's a disease, some would say, a disease of poverty. Generally, that came from the lower level of people of society because of poor hygiene and living conditions. Their immune systems were low and their food was low. They have no one to stand up for them and support them because it's a disease of the nerves. The skin leprosy would basically cause patients to not respond to local anesthesia or feeling or sensation. They don't feel anything hot, so when they hold something hot, they don't feel it, and then it leaves major blisters on their hands. Or, as the skin is deteriorating from this infection, it begins to eat away at the uh, bugs and ants begin to eat away the skin, which then reveals raw tissue, which then affects the tendons and the bones, which then limbs begin to fall off and doctors have to amputate. But here's the thing with leprosy. It wasn't the physical pain that those that were going through um, that bothered them the most. It was the social stigma. It was being told that they have no value, they have no worth, that they have nothing to offer. Some would say that a leper was made to be oppressed, that that was their design, or they had done something to not appease God. Leprosy is a curse by everyone. It's better to chop off your hand or leg than to go through the social stigma from society. You think I'm making some of this up, but this is what people in India are saying right now. 
I'd rather have my legs or hands or fingers chopped off than be thought of or be shown my leprosy. Listen to these statistics in India. This will blow your mind. There are two new cases per 10,000 people each year in India. And you might think, oh, that's not bad. That's not as bad as the Zika virus or whatever, Zika or whatever it's called. I got my wife corrected me on it the other day. I said it wrong. But listen to this. In a country of 2 billion people, that is an estimated 220,000 new leprosy patients annually. Today, right now, in India. Globally, India accounts for 60% of all leprosy in the world. 60%. The point is not to say how leprosy still exists. The point is to look at how has Jesus responded to it, though. The leper was looking for a healer. Jesus is is ready to heal this leper. He hears the response of this leper. It's just not the physical suffering that Jesus was coming to heal, but also reveal to that leper the spiritual suffering that could be removed. Listen to the heart of the leper. He says this, If you are willing. If you are willing. The leper believed Jesus had the power and the authority to heal him. For our lives, you and me, the question should never be, can you take this away? But rather, will you take this away? We should never question God's power because it is there. And we should never question his authority. He had the power to never predispose any one of us to any type of disease. He had the power. But because of sin and our broken relationship with God and because of the fall, it wasn't so much that sin, it was the fact that sin is the cause and there are these glimpses of suffering that we all go through. With God, we are susceptible diseases. Because of the broken relationship with God, we are susceptible to diseases, infections, cancers, viruses, and things that haven't even been diagnosed yet. But why? Listen to what Jesus does. He stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. He touched him. You don't touch a leper. You touch a leper, you're unclean. You touch a leper, you have no value. You became a social, act, a social outcast. But listen to this. Why would Jesus want to touch us? Why would he want to touch you? Why would he want to touch me? He wants to touch us because we ha- even though we have cursed him with our very mouths and with our very lives, he has, and, and, and he, he has given us He has given us mouths. He's given us voices. He's given us bodies to use. He has given us his gifts, but we have cursed him with it. But he continues to pursue us. We are infected with the greatest disease known to man, and it is sin. It is sin. And we will look here later in the point, in the end of this, when we look at how do we apply this to understanding then why aren't we seeing some of these things stop anymore? Why are we still seeing some of the sufferings that we see? 
Why are some of us here today going through something that we just are prayerfully asking God, pleading with God to remove? So he heals this leper. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses has commanded for a proof to them. What's happening here? Why would Jesus not say, all right, show's getting started now. Let's go. I'm going to heal everybody up. Everybody's going to applause and see me as the great healer. What were the people wanting? They were wanting the oppression from the Roman Empire to go away. So if Jesus would have come in with no plan, no agenda about God's kingdom being made a reality... And ultimately seeing the greatest thing conquered, that being sin, Satan, and death. We would have seen something completely change with the identity of Jesus. Jesus was not about coming into the scene and making some pronouncement of that he heals all these things and then there becomes this, uh, this following, this, this bandwagon of people who want to see more of these healings even though that occurred. The healing he was coming to bring was much greater than, than, than what was than what these people thought they needed. They thought they needed just physical healing. They thought they needed a king to rule on this earth. Jesus wanted to do three simple things here. He says, testify to the priest that God is at work. Number two, authenticates the healing is genuine. Examination by the priest lets the man return home and family to work and friends and pronounce that God healed me. He literally stepped in and healed me. It was not a need for a sign. Don't, don't, don't do all these things that, that you would think to follow these perfect steps and if you'd get one off, you'd, you've ruined it. No, God healed him. Jesus does not want people to misunderstand the reason he has come. It wasn't to cause a revolt against the Roman government. It was to heal the spiritual brokenness of the people. What do we do with this first healing? This physical healing gives root to our social response as believers to care for the hungry, the sick, and to offer shelter to the homeless. That this leper needed healing between he and God. This leper needed the people of God. What makes up the church? Church? It's broken people. But we are, but what are we tempted to do? We're, we're tempted to fill it with people who look and talk and act just like us. Be attentive to whom is around you. Seek the welfare and needs of our city. Missional communities, we must be groups who become burdened about the needs of each other, our neighbors, community, etc. Every one of us has someone around us who feel socially unacceptable, unwanted, and unvalued. We must go to them, learn their stories, and find out what shapes their stories. Begin to show someone interest towards them their story, their needs. Do something kind for them. Find out what has shaped their life so you can learn about them. Learn what they believe, why they believe what they believe. What have they been taught as a child? Earn the right to be heard. But it must start with beginning to value that person. 
so much of what Jesus is doing, it's almost as if we encounter someone broken and then we must go back to Genesis 1 and see how the creation began and see at Genesis 2 and then see how everything went wrong at Genesis 3 and just acknowledge that there is brokenness all around us. How did Jesus respond to it? He responded by acknowledging that they were creating the image of God, that they had value, that they had worth, that they had something to offer the kingdom of God. When you ask for healing, ask knowing Jesus has the authority to heal you, but ask knowing his will might be to not heal you. But to use your disease for the sake of others. There's not a person in this room that says, there's not a person in this room that doesn't know someone who needs healing. We all do right now. Gosh, we need God to heal so many things in our life. Then he goes on to the centurion. We see Jesus go to the outcasts, the ones who were unacceptable, the ones that society says could never be accepted by God, but in his grace and mercy, Jesus went. He touched them. Some would say that Jesus was breaking the law. No, no, no. Jesus would say, I'm fulfilling the law. I'm fulfilling the law. We see secondly that Jesus went to the nations. Jesus has went to the nations. He comes upon this centurion man. This man comes to him and he says, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Do you see what happened? The centurion never asked him to heal him. He never asked for it. He never said, please heal. He just said, he is paralyzed. My servant is home. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Are we going to the nation's church? Are we going to the nation's? Listen, there are not people from the nation's who are beating down our door and saying, please come and heal us. They're just crying out over their suffering. We hear the cries of those people and we go to the nations. We go to the nations. Listen about Capernaum. This was Jesus' new hometown, the center of his ministry in Galilee. After the Lord's expulsion from Nazareth, Capernaum became his own city. It was a scene of many acts, an incidents of his life. It was a trading city at a crossroads. Historically, it made sense for Roman centurions to have a tax, or to, for the Romans to have a tax station there. So it's a city where people are coming in and out. There's a ton of activity. So there would definitely be Roman centurions there. The centurion there was to make sure that people were doing what they're supposed to be doing. The centurion was a leader of those men that could number in the low 100. Centurions were the backbone of the military. They were considered the top elite soldiers. So the centurion comes to Jesus, not knowing who he really was, he, but, he, but he, hearing his words cry out for healing for his servant, he's, he's, he's crying out. He's not saying, please heal. He just he knows that Jesus is more powerful than anything he had ever seen. Historically, centurions were paid well. 
They could not marry during their 20 years of service in the military. Goodness gracious to a man who's been called to marry, like me. Uh, there was no, <laughs> but here's the thing. With these centurions and his soldiers, there was no goose and maverick type relationship here. It was just literally a hard-nosed General Patton and his troops. So his servant would be a centurion's closest family friend. And we hear about the military today, who are their brothers? Man, it's their brother in arms. It's the ones right next to him who are sitting in the trenches. In this day and age, the culture that is happening is no. There was none of that brotherhood, that strong relationship. So for a servant to a centurion, that was their closest friend. In the Greek, Matthew uses the word heus. It's the only word I probably can't announce today. Which either means child or close servant rather than doulos. Which means the generic term for servant or slave. So when you hear the word slave, you're like, oh man. Why would that, why would that guy want him healed like that? It's because he's a close family friend. Someone he loved dearly. So, but Jesus responds somewhat amb ambiguous in the original. It means either I shall go and heal him or shall I go and heal him? Like he didn't ask for anything. Should I go? I don't know. What do you think? Should I do it? Maybe. Okay. But since the original language in Greek didn't use punctuations, uh, his response could go either way. Okay. It could go either way, but we see how Jesus responds. He goes, I will. I will go. I will heal him. But why would the centurion not ask? I think that's the big story here. So we see the, the point of the leper to ask Jesus to heal him was something that, number one, no one would ever offer that leper. He was not seen to have any value. But just like this centurion, why would he stop short of asking? Culturally and religiously. It would be wrong for Jesus to enter the home of a centurion. We see this in Acts 20 through 20, 10, 27, excuse me, Acts 10, 27 through 29, when Peter is talking to Cornelius of how it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with someone from another nation. Jesus did not have to prove who he was. He already had authority under him. Jesus was more worried about spending time with the social outcasts, the culturally different, than he was about, than about finding acceptance from the religious. Jesus was who knew no sin. He became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him, us, the church. Most times we're more concerned about finding our acceptance and value in other things in the, uh, in the culture that looks like us rather than finding our identity in Christ and allowing that to shape who we are to all people. We are insecure for our acceptance from our peers than receiving the acceptance we need from God. We are insecure for our acceptance from our peers. We want it so bad than receiving the acceptance we need from God. This centurion literally said, I'm going to shame myself. I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to plead for him to heal because I, I, there's nothing I can do. And I love this person. And, and I need this person to be healed. He is so important to my life. Jesus providing healing for the centurion was like you providing love, compassion, forgiveness, and service to your greatest enemy. 
Let's say you were falsely accused by an employee at work to gain an edge up over you in the office. But in, in their time of need, you come to them and help them. And you get on your knees and you serve them. Sounds familiar? Jesus granted you himself to be the substitute for you and be falsely accused for your sin. He took on your sin. He became your sin so you may gain freedom in his righteousness, doing all this for you while you were his greatest enemy. Who are the people that end up cursing Jesus on the cross? Who did the religious leaders go to to try to get Jesus persecuted, to get him killed? The same people Jesus came to heal here. The Roman centurions, the Gentiles. Going to the nations is not a suggestion. It is a command. It is who a believer is. Now please note, you could be doing missions one or two ways. You can be physically going or you can be physically sending. You can be physically going or physically sending people to the nations. And I pray as my wife and a part of this church family with you that out of our family, our church family, we are commissioning people to go to the nations. Man, just think about this. We are a church, young church family. We are an infant. We are just getting started by the grace of God. We are just getting our feet planted. Can you imagine what it's going to look like when we send our first church family to the nations, whether for a week, 10 days, or for a lifetime? Can you imagine what that's going to look like? We are going to literally stand here, pray over them, and say, go. Go to the Roman centurions. Go to the people who do not like, look like you. We get the pleasure of, of supporting two missionaries, one to Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan and one to Niger, West Africa. And I cannot wait for the day that we all get to go, that we all get to go and send our family there. Man, I want to spend so much time on there, but we've got to keep going. Point three, mother-in-law and the demon-possessed. Third point, Jesus went to the marginalized. He went to the marginalized. This man had somehow opened himself up to be um, these people that, that were the first the woman that was healed and then we see the, the demon-possessed people that were brought to, to them. We see Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law, being a Jewish woman, she was, and, and we gotta realize, who were the disciples? Like the disciples were the people who had no value. He literally picked teenagers teenagers like that's my kid in like eight years a teenager no nine is that right no eight this is really not good at math but eight years that's my kid Jesus would have picked my son to walk with him to see the most miraculous things ever and Peter I mean we don't even have time for a sermon on Peter I can't imagine what his mother-in-law's like, right? But, that was wrong. Uh, but anyway, he was, his, she was excluded from great privileges and responsibilities that, that, 
men would have easier access to. She had a fever. And, and then those who were demon-possessed had somehow opened themselves up to Satan's hands later on. The one, the one greatest enemy Jesus has, he compassionately, graciously, and mercifully heals them. That evening they brought to him many more who were pressed by demons. What is so beautiful about this is that not only did Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law, it inclined them. It empowered them. It took him to the point to, to go get others. They went to the unclean. They went to the people who in the eyes of society were literally at the bottom. Isaiah 53. Matthew closes with this to say it was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, he literally became the leper. He literally became the centurion. He literally became the marginalized woman. He literally took on them. There's a ton of application from this. But I start with this. Church, I've already hit it on this, but do we live such different lives that we are approachable? Do we live such different lives that we are approachable? Christ lived the most countercultural life, which should naturally train wreck our lives if we meet Him, to the point that, that we do not care about our name no longer. We only care about the name of Christ. Do our neighbors and coworkers and friends know who to come to when they hit rock bottom? Do they know? Do they know who to come to? You really won't know how to start walking with the broken until two things happen. You see how broken you are before Christ and how miserably pathetic we all are apart from Him. And number two, until you start walking with those people. 
in that position. I remember when I started work at Hope House, and I might have hinted at this uh, a few, I don't know, months ago when I preached, but I remember a, about two weeks in where this Cinderella story just did not exist like I thought of bring them in, pray for them, fill their physical needs, share the gospel to them, and we're all going to walk out skipping together to somewhere under the rainbow. Like, that's not what happened. Because it was, it was exhaustingly confusion, confusing to me. In a sense that when I look at my own life, it looked like it was all together. It looked like I had it all figured out. And so I was the most qualified to go and work here. But what I realized, I was the most unqualified person to work there. It wasn't until I acknowledged that I do not have the power, I do not have the strength to sustain what I've been asked to do here. I don't. And it wasn't until then I began to see how, I mean, I understood, I knew the gospel. I knew that if I got hit by a truck that day, that I would be with God in eternity, not because of what I've done, because of what he has done for me on my behalf. But there was just something that this sense of understanding the gospel I did not have. So when I set upon the first person who had HIV AIDS, it rocked my world. When I set face to face someone who was homeless, I did not know how to respond. Because in my mind, I had nothing to relate to. But it wasn't until I acknowledged that without the gospel, I am the diseased. Without the gospel, I am the homeless. Without the gospel, I am the marginalized. Without the gospel, I am the ethnically unsaved apart from Christ. Like I knew that I needed the gospel more than ever before. Secondly, do you know the ethnically different? Do you know them? Do you know them? Are you sharing or giving sacrificially to send those to the ethnically different so they may hear the gospel? Our going and our spending determines our reach. Our going and spending determines our reach. If our spending is only directed towards us, our reach will not be very far. But if our giving and our spending is sacrificial to the nations, we will see the ends of the earth reach because of the gospel. It just takes money to go. It takes money to go. But do you know the ethnically different? If you don't, my challenge to you, when you go to the Hispanic restaurant, learn the name of your waitress or waiter. If you've never gone to the Mediterranean restaurant, praise be to God for that food on Russell Road, you need to go there. If you've not been to the new one on Old Morgantown Road, thanks Todd Crosby, what's that one called? I don't know what it's called. I can't see it. What? I just, I don't think I can say that out loud. Uh, but go there and meet some Burmese individuals who, who are from other nations. Meet your neighbors. We live in one of the most ethnic, ethnically diverse cities, I would say, in the state of Kentucky. But here's what begins to change when we see the ethnically different as valuable and as a part of God's kingdom. Who did God come to save? Listen to what he says. 
Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What is he pronouncing? The gospel is going to go to the nations. It's going to begin with me. And we're going to fulfill Genesis when I spoke to Abraham and he's going to be the father of many nations. Our city is experiencing some quite controversial issues right now. I'm not trying to create a conflict between members because I would argue if there's anyone who should be leading the charge in this, it should, should be us. Right now, our city and groups are talking about Syrians coming to our country. Here's my concern. My concern is this. Is that you are more concerned if more nations come to our city. We become more concerned about what we might lose if they come here. Rather than being more concerned about what they may lose if we don't go to them. Does that make sense? We are more concerned about losing our life due to some terroristic attack than we are more concerned about them losing their life, eternal damnation in hell, without knowing the gospel. We have a major issue in our country right now. Major issue. But are you more concerned about losing your life or are you more concerned about the lives of the nations losing their life apart from the gospel? Jesus literally displayed this better than anybody else. He knew me going to the leper, me going to the Roman centurion, me going to the marginalized woman, healing the demon-possessed individuals was only going to set things in motion all the more. That's what would bring peace. Do we realize when we go to the nations, we're literally being a part of bringing peace? We are participating in God's plan of bringing order, reconciliation, restoration, making all things new, and seeing lives transformed for eternity. Number three, are we training our children to only surround themselves with people that look, live, do, and talk like them? I've only been a parent for nearly six years. And I don't have to train my child to do that. I really don't. I don't have to train them to be around the people who look, live, and do, and talk like them. I really can only increase that behavior. By showing and teaching them fear, judgment, and social status towards others as most important. Jesus came to you. You were not the socially elect. You were the ones who were being judged upon. You were the ones who inflict the most fear on other people. But Jesus came to you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You were nothing but a beggar. 
how are we training our children? Number four, do we try to live lives separated from social outcasts or seek to live closer to them? Do we live sent lives? I challenge you this year, get to know somebody. Get to know someone who, who you have trouble pronouncing their name. Someone who's different. Someone who, who wants to know you, but you're in fear of knowing them. Number five, some of us will not be healed here on earth. Everything we or our loved ones go through is for the glory of God. Our suffering is to be used to make God's name famous. Jesus came to deal with the sin in the world and in our hearts through the suffering. Though suffering is something we experience, it is not something Jesus is required to remove from us. Yet, if anything, He will use suffering and sickness to grow us spiritually, to grow His church, and most importantly, use it for the glory of God. If I have not seen the Spirit of God in people In more than in people, if I've not seen God's Spirit more evident in people's lives than in the, those that are sick and suffering, um, I'm humbled by them. I'm amazed by what they have to go through. But see, I can do one or two things. I can look at the suffering and those that are in sick, and I can go. I can do one or two things. Man, they're strong. Man, they're strong. Or I can say. Man, look how mighty God is in their weakness, in their struggle. Philippians 1.29 For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10 We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not push us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18. Listen to the words of one of my favorite writers, James Montgomery Boyce, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia in the spring of 2000 when he was diagnosed with cancer. Listen to this. Should you pray for a miracle? Well, it's, well you're free to do that, of course. My general impression is that God who is able to do miracles, and he certainly can, is also able to keep you from getting the problem in the first place. So although miracles do happen, they're rare by definition. A miracle has to be an unusual thing. Above all, pray for the glory of God. If you think of God glorifying Himself in history, and you say, where in all history has God most glorified Himself? He did it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't by delivering Jesus from the cross, though He could have... Jesus says, don't you think I could have called down a legion of angels for my defense? But he didn't do that. And, that's that, and yet that's where God is most glorified. God is in charge. When things like this come into our lives, they are not accidental. 
It's not as if God somehow forgot what was going on and something bad slipped by. God is not only the one who is in charge. God is also, God is also good. Everything he does is good. After eight weeks of sharing, after, eight weeks after sharing those words, James Boyce Montgomery died. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Church, some of us in this room are going to be diagnosed with cancer. Some of us in this room are going to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Some of you in this room are going to lose a child. I'm not prophetically saying this. I'm just saying that it is statistically proven that at some point we are going to experience some type of loss that we did not plan for. But it was controlled and planned by the grace and the mercy of God for His good and perfect will, for His glory and for His namesake, because He is a God of grace and mercy. He is a God who doesn't let any one thing pass by Him or forget about fear the thought of losing one of my children. I fear it. Fear the thought of it. I can do one or two things. I can be controlled by the fear of what might come in sickness, in disease, in loss of a loved one, or I can see that this is not the end. Jesus is going to return. He's going to make all things new. The only way you and I can approach issues of disease, death, sickness is by acknowledging that Jesus is going to return. He's going to make all things new. And we are called to go to the oppressed. We are to go to those that are unable to function because of disease. And we are called to go to the nations. We are called to go to the nations. It is not so much out of duty that we go to the nations. It is out of grace. As we have been given much in grace, we want to give grace to those who do not realize that grace is being extended to them. David Platt says this, When Jesus speaks, leprosy, paralysis, and fever obey. The question is, do we obey? Do we obey his word? Do we see how he's coming to our life? Do we see how he's coming to make all things new in us? Do we see that he's the one, that, he, that, that we're the one he's made clean? That he's, he's the one that has touched us. 
that He has come to the one who is not worthy of, of hearing the name of Christ because we are His enemy. And do we see we are the ones who are a child of Satan apart from Christ, that we are a child of wrath apart from Christ, that we are do everything, everything, every punishment, everything that we have done against the name and fame of God. But He has sought us out. So my cry to you, church, and to me and to us is that we will look at these three healings and go, man, Jesus did not do things to the social norm. And our lives should not look like the social norm. But until we receive how He has come to us, as He has come to these three individuals, we will not see the plan that He has for us, our lives, and we will not see how He wants to use this church to see disciples made, and churches planted. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time to be together with our, my church family. I thank you for the opportunity to preach. Lord, I, I thank you that it is your word that, that we got to walk through today and not mine. Uh, Lord, I pray that we not become jaded in our thinking that, Lord, we don't need anything from you. But may we see that, Lord, it is all about you and everything that we need is in you. May we cry out that all we have is Christ. All we have is, is you. And that we have nothing else to offer our city and our nation and our world is but you. May we not get deceived by trying to trick people into following you in hopes of them gaining something that would make their life better physically. But they see that what we offer is a God who heals deep within our soul, deep within our hearts, deep within the darkest and most wicked crevices of our lives that has ultimately broken our relationship with the Father. May we see that you come to make all things new. Lord, I ask that you will save many. And may we be joining you in that work of going to those that are oppressed, that seem to have no cultural value, that we go to those that are, uh, would, that are our enemies, we go to those well, that, 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 that ultimately are, are those that, that you created in your image and that you, you don't want them to be your enemies so we don't want them to be our enemies and so we want to go to them and see that, that they can become a child of light and that they can be our brother and sister in Christ because of the healing power of the gospel and that we will risk everything for that. We will risk everything for that. Because, see, we count our life as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we go to the marginalized. Or that we serve those, we seek those out that, that 
carry little, that some would say would carry very little in our city, that would, that would carry very little worth in our workplace, and Lord, that, that we see that we, we go to them. And we show how, how Jesus wants to make them restored because he has made us restored. Father, we love you. It is in Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we continue to worship.